know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone so I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hi, everybody. It's episode 64. I'm pretty sure Alina just told me the number. and uh, I'm always man, right. Oh. And she's always right. I just wasn't sure if I forgot in the you know, five seconds between now and when she told me. 64 of Anglophies. It's award season. Everything is happening. It's fucking bonkers. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And uh, none of us fucked a fish, I'm pretty sure. But the award season frontrunner did. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're not going to judge on that front. God, no, we're not going to judge at all. He has a great ass. Guillermo designed it that way. <laughs> See, you know, Guillermo gets us. Like, yes. it's really hard to find male creators who kind of get women, but I feel like Guillermo gets us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Irene Adler, Guillermo knows what we like. <laughs> and now I'm imagining a Guillermo del Toro or Sherlock Holmes where they're still fish fucking. <gasps> I want that. I want that so much. <gasps> anyway. Uh- so this award season is uh, stretched out a little bit. Um, I suspect mostly because of the Montreal Olympics, which start next Friday. Um, but the Golden Globes have happened. The SAGs have happened. The Academy Award nominations have been announced. And the Academy Awards themselves will be on Sunday, March 4th. And hopefully by then... Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri will have gone away from literally everybody's minds. You know what? It's a weird award season. It might happen. I think this is probably one of the, not the riskiest award seasons, but they're certainly nowhere near set in stone as we would have said they've been for the past few years. But even then, you know. Even then, weird shit has happened. I mean... Moonlight, like, is, I think, has put us all on this kind of edge of, like, we can't really safely predict anything anymore. We have all these ideas about what makes an Oscar film, what makes a kind of award season narrative. And you can see films are adhering to that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win anymore. The The votership for the Academy has gotten a lot less white and a lot less male and a lot younger. It's, you know, the average voter is still probably... A 69-year-old white guy who thought Darkest Hour was a bit too edgy. But we're getting there. And that in and of itself is, you know, is brilliant because progress in Hollywood tends to be maddeningly incremental. It's done in drips and drabs. And, you you know, their idea of what counts as like a progressive film tends to still be very white saviory. And we there's actually, if you look at the nominations this year for Best Picture Alone... Really, there's nine there, and I can maybe two of them would be considered Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't see that being an overwhelming mood for the category or any of the, the categories in general. There are some perplexing choices, but there's nothing here that made me outright mad. Yeah, yeah. You know, usually, there's like a you know 
the blind side or a crash or something in there where you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, why is that there? And this year's like, no, I, I can see the cases for all of them. You wouldn't say three billboards is this year's crash. I think if it wins, three billboards is this year's crash. It will be considered this year's crash if it wins, but I think more in terms of the narrative. I haven't seen three billboards, I should say. I mean, crash is so outright a film that I cannot in any way justify it as being like as free billboards possibly being any worse than it i but you know free billboards has more of like an artistic indie bent behind it it's written and directed by martin mcdonough who's a hugely celebrated playwright and director and has done great work with stuff like in bruges which is awesome it's got you know a murderer's row of incredible actors in it like francis mcdormand and woody harrelson sam rockwell peter dinklage that kind of thing you know that is already standing on its own independently of crash probably a narrative that content wise will still be very egregious if it does win given that there is more of a kind of an evolution to its narrative building but it's not crash it's not a beautiful mind it's not you know yeah i guess we're going to differentiate between a bad movie and a movie that's good as a movie but has problematic elements in it right i mean it's also different to even talk about these films now because you know, when Crash won Best Picture against Brokeback Mountain, which is still, like, the most heinous crime, <laughs> it wasn't part of... We, we had different <clears throat> conversations back then. We weren't as aware of issues of how white... Well, we were, actually. Like, the Oscars have always had a problem with his whiteness, and people were protesting that 20 years ago. Um, but you didn't have the social media kind of grassroots build around it. You know, Oscar So White wasn't a movement that gathered the steam and pace that it did. You know, and this is, you know, this, th- th- we are now in a position where the Academy, whether they like it or not, care what the internet thinks. Mm-hmm. Like, and I remember a couple of years ago when 12 Years a Slave won, Ellen DeGeneres told a show, and you know, a joke in the show, something like, you know, so it's, it's gravity versus um, 12 Years a Slave, which means if, um, you know, depending on who wins, you're all going to be racist. Like, and it was about, about as edgy as Ellen DeGeneres gets. But it's like, they care about that perception, mm-hmm. I think. They still want to pretend that they're marching forward with the narrative and leading it, but really, you know, no one watches the Oscars much anymore. They want people to care. And they have to get people to care. So the only reason that, you know, why would they stick around if, you know, they couldn't get people to care? Um, so it's a weird position. That's one of the reasons I think it is so strange this year, because it is a noticeably whiter lineup than last year. But there's way more in terms of the kind of films that people are really excited about. Like, there, there are a couple of films there where I think the response would be, eh, I guess, but there are other films in here that you're, you know, go hard or go home for. I mean, when people talk about, like, we'll get into the, I think we'll just, uh, uh, can we go into, like, what's in Best Picture so this makes more sense? I, I just, yeah. Before we go into specifics, just one thing about the numbers. When we first started, I was going to say, I feel like Three Billboards has momentum, but I scrolled down to the, just a f- nomination numbers per film, and Shape of Water is leading at 13. Yep. Three Billboards has and seven. And that is a defining part of the narrative as well. Yeah. Um, Dunkirk has eight, so it's actually, Dunkirk is in second place. But yeah, now we can go into specifics. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to re- read what's nominated for Best Picture, and Raiden and Alina, as always, will interject with noises deciding their reactions to the film. Uh, so, Best Picture nominees, Call Me By Your Name. I haven't seen it yet, because the only theatre showing it around here is kind of a pain in the ass to get to, but I want to stress the yet. 
Uh, yes, yeah, same here, and I will get back to that in a minute. Uh, Darkest Hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was no. excited to it to, oh, to hear about it, and then like, then I was reminded of all the shit Gary Oldman has pulled. Yeah. Yeah, we will have to get into that as well. Uh, Dunkirk. Brilliant. <laughs> you know, of of the traditional Oscar bait, this is the one I'm really okay with. Dunkirk's brilliant masterpiece. Uh, get Out. Is yeah, I am so proud of Jordan Peele. Like, I feel personally like, you go, dude. You fucking go. I'm sorry. Three-time Oscar nominee, Jordan Peele. <laughs> this is the one where... <laughs> It's both surprising and unsurprising. It's unsurprising in that this was pretty much the film of the year. Surprising in that I always expect the least of the Oscars. So Right. And when when did this come out? It came out in February. There are five more nominations to read, by the way. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um Ladybird. I love Ladybird so much. <laughs> uh Phantom Fred. I saw it last night as fucking insane you guys you're gonna tell I can't us wait about to it, see it uh, yes, I I'm, will. Huge, I'm a huge paul thomas anderson fan so i can't wait for the spoiler free description of this uh the post <laughs> it's meryl <laughs> streep it's it's meryl streep it's steven spielberg it's tom hanks getting to say fuck a lot and he really clearly enjoyed that part um it has the classic spielberg problem of it really needed to end two minutes earlier as opposed to Lincoln, which needs to end 10 minutes earlier. So, you know, points for improvement. The Shape of Water? Oh, fish fucking. <laughs> I remember when they mentioned that was going to be in the film and all these guys I knew started laughing and all the women were like, I'm really here for this, you guys. I'm here for this, I want like, it. I can't wait to see the women get fucked by the fish man. Guillermo gets us, guys. Yeah. And free billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Which I haven't seen yet, so I don't feel like I can fairly comment on it, but they're opting in place that would make that win very awkward. There are people who have seen it whose opinions I trust very much who are like wow McDonough really doesn't understand American racism like Mm. at all. The thing about um, Martin McDonough, whose work I really like Martin McDonough's Irish but spent a lot of time living in London and he writes a lot of plays about Ireland like The Beauty Queen of Lena and The Cripple of Inishman that are about kind of looking at the strangeness of that culture from the perspective of an outsider with a foot kind of a foot in the door. You know, he's very blunt, he does a lot of swearing, there's like sort of sharp bursts of violence. On the stage it works brilliantly. And if anyone has seen In Bruges with Colin Farrell, it's probably the best example of that that's not specifically set in Ireland, but because it's driven by two Irish actors, you know. You get that sense of it being more fitting. And also Colin Farrell's so good in that. When he writes about America as a playwright, I don't think it is as strong. Like, he's still an outsider, but you need to be a very canny outsider to kind of take on the massive issues of what it means to be America, you know? Mm. And when you want to get into race on that issue, like, I don't know if you're the right dude for that, Martin. Mm. Your plays tend to be pretty white, and that's, you know, usually to your, your credit, just because you, you kind of know your lane, and I don't know if he knows his lane here. I have a round table for us, as a, yeah. uh, now that we've gone through our nine nominees. What would have been your tenth? Because I have a very strong opinion. The Florida Project. Logan. Logan. I, I'd love to have seen Logan, but for me, it was the Florida Project. Honestly, can we just bring it back to ten nominees instead of this whole preferential voting system and that you have to get a certain percentage to get it? Like, just fill the fucking category already. 
They haven't yes. actually gone the full ten very often, have they? No, not since they changed. They haven't done it once since they changed the rules. Yeah. I, I would have, I mean, Logan, I, I think, is masterful. And I was delighted mm-hmm. to see that it did get nomination in one category, which we'll get to. But for me, the Florida Project is so astounding a piece of work that the fact that it only got nominated for one award sort of astounding to me. I think, like, in five years' time, people will look back on that as being a really egregious kind of flub for them. I mean, what that film has to do in terms of juggling not just different tones, but different points of view and taking on a subject as weighty as poverty in america but doing it without judgment or without making it seem noble we're very prone to like narratives of actually there's real worthiness in being poor and it's like no being poor sucks and the film really gets that for those who don't know the florida project is a story of a series of very poor um, americans who live in a sort of cheap knockoff disney style motel in kissimmee within drive of disney world and it's about the entire economy that sort of surrounds the happiest place on earth and the reality of people who are actually too poor to even live there let alone you know actually go to disneyland or disney world i should say it's you know very tricky material but it's handled in a way that you're like it just seems so effortless and it's full of non-actors uh the kids in that movie are astounding uh, that lead girl, Brooklyn Prince, just like star in the making. And I, I, I always we- am weary about talking about child stars in that way because like being a child star sucks, but she's so fucking good in it. So I would like to have seen that get in there. Um, I would love to have seen it get in for Best Director for Sean Baker, but I have no idea who I'd knock out of that category. Uh, but my other option would be Logan because like, holy shit, Logan. <laughs> it's a fucking Wolverine movie and it's masterful. Yeah. Yep. One of the things that I noticed in a in an interesting thing that sort of ties Phantom Thread and the Post together is they're both shot in kind of older styles. They both felt like older like the the post is definitely like we're gonna shoot this like a seventies thriller. Which is handy because they made that movie in like two weeks. Okay, it was a little bit more than two weeks, but not a lot, because Spielberg was like, saw Meryl give her speech at the Golden Globes and was like, we're doing the post and she's going to be Catherine Graham. (laughs) They had the script and everything, but they made it and produced it in less than a year because he wanted it out before the end of Trump's first first year. So it's a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose. Our buddy Steve is not known for his subtlety, shall we say. But it's also very deliberately shot like a 70s thriller. And we have we have enough movies now that you could have a movie day of movies about newspapers. And how do we make sorting through paper exciting and dynamic? It's pretty cool. It's um, weird for, I mean, the post is really in, in, interesting because it is made by the sort of ultimate blockbuster mainstream filmmaker, but it's also currently a hit. Yeah. It's currently made over $100 million worldwide, so it's made double its budget. He made a film to be seen by the masses, and the masses are going to it. Yeah. So I think whether or not it does Oscars, you know, is irrelevant to why he wanted to make the film. And it didn't get that many nominations. You know, it got picture it got actress because meryl because meryl street right? yeah it's weird because she's like she's, she's getting some of the best reviews of her career it. but it also feels 
that's why she's getting some of the best reviews of her career for this role, but because she gets nominated for basically everything, I think we underestimate, like, how good she can be. Yeah. Because she's been nominated plenty of times for stuff that she didn't deserve. So, you know, we just sort of expect it. I feel like Denzel's becoming that now. Uh, yeah. And I'll get to the Denzel nomination in a second, but I'm going to go to Best Nobody director has seen now. that movie. Nobody knows what it's about. I know, we'll like, I know some critics who have seen it, but even then I don't entirely believe them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one guy at RogerEbert.com said that this was like Denzel's Norbit. <laughs> oh, ouch. Oh, God. I, I felt that cut. Even Sam so Sanders was like, this Roman shit. Israel movie, has anybody seen it? And there was like dead-ass silence in his mentions. It was actually a big flop, like, in terms of Denzel movies as well, like, big underperformer. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but I'd like to go to Best Director, so... So, actually, I kind of, I can't wait anymore. Can this be the Phantom Thread? Okay. <laughs> okay, I want to hear this, that. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, like, my reaction to this movie is wrapped up in a massive spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I'll even put in timestamps. So Linda Holmes is like, we have had so many movies about difficult geniuses. And this is you know, a good example of those types of movies, but we're constantly telling that fucking story. So like, can we not? Which I knew. I would like a lot less dark relationship bullshit. And way more sewing. Please give me more sewing and more lovingly photographed fabric. Because that part was great. I want his workspace. I really, really do. It was gorgeous. And, and you know that he did actually learn how to make a full dress. Because of course, of he, course he needed to learn how to make a Balenciaga. Of course he, <sighs> of course he fucking did. I um, hope he gave it to his wife. <laughs> I hope so too. Okay, Kaylee? I'm gonna like put my headset off, okay? Alright, so spoilers okay. for the twist. Okay. Please jump ahead by one minute and 26 seconds here to avoid a spoiler for the Phantom Threat. The twist is revolves around Alma, the chick who becomes his muse, feeding him small amounts of poisonous mushrooms so he will feel helpless and she'll take care of him and then he'll stop being an asshole for a little while. And he's like, Yes, this is a great way to run a relationship. So that's what they do. Including making out right after he puked. Ew. Yeah. Yeah, like, the crowd in the theater was like, the fuck is happening right now? And after the movie was over, I sort of looked around and there was a woman sitting behind me who had the, what the fuck did I just watch? Look on her face, which is the look that was on my face. Like, what the fuck? I mean, I have some fucked up relationships in my time, but poisonous mushrooms? Yeah. I feel like like this helplessness kink could have been arranged in the bedroom much sexier with less puking. Yeah. Yeah, and less like... Like, I don't know, watch some Fifty Shades yeah. people or something. <laughs> Or don't, don't do that. Don't, I, guess, don't. I guess don't do that to yourself. That's like the yeah, anti-inspiration. Right. But... All right, should we bring Alina or Kaylee back in? Cause yeah, you're Alina yeah, and yeah. Kaylee? Come back to us. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> okay, so that all happened. I mean, you didn't miss much, but... But, yeah, you need to experience this unspoiled. 
Well, I'm hopefully seeing it at the weekend because I am a huge fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. I love uh, basically all his... I haven't seen his first movie, but I love basically everything else he's ever done. Inherent Vice is one of my favourite movies of all time. And I enjoy the fact that him and Maya Rudolph are the, the great power couple of our age. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of Paul Thomas Anderson, shall we move on to Best Director? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, right. like, these are all good. fantastic choices. Like, this could have gone so wrong. Like, this could have been a repeat of what happened at the Golden Globes. Yeah. Um, and it didn't. So, same routine. Uh, Christopher Nolan is Dunkirk. Yes. Dunkirk, not as. Uh, Jordan Peele for Get Out. Yes. Oh. Greta Garrig for Lady Bird. Fifth woman ever. If, if also, fifth African American nominee with Jordan yeah. Peele. No, Many wait. years, guys. Progress. Yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, Spike Lee's never won or never been nominated. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Fat Fred. Paul Thomas, uh, he, he, yep. And Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Guillermo gets my heart. We love you. So here's the thing, like, this is where you start to see those drips and jabs of progress, yeah. but it's still, you know, like it's Academy progress. Like, yay for Greta Gerwig, but five women in 90 years, really? Yeah. And they're all white. So, yeah. and Jordan Peele, there have been five African-American do- uh, directors no, nominated. Five, five black. Steve McQueen is not African-American. Oh, I should say black, yes. So, uh, John Singleton, Lee Daniels, Steve McQueen, Barry Jenkins, and now Jordan Peele. Um, Spike Lee has never been nominated, you guys. Which, uh, I, I did an essay on Spike Lee for class. So I was even more angry about that now. The true story, like, I was talking about this with my professor, because we talked about uh, Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Um, Spike Lee's movie about Malcolm X starring Denzel Washington. Um, my professor's American. He says, I have friends who to this day have still not w- refused to watch the Oscars because of Denzel getting snubbed for Malcolm X. I was like, you know what? That's a perfectly good reason. Because <laughs> there was a man who was robbed. Uh, and it's also ridiculous that Spike Lee's never been nominated. Not even for Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what film won Best Picture of the Year Do the Right Thing didn't get nominated for Best Picture or Director? Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> Which, if that isn't like that's that like that's there, that's it right there. That's the whole thing, basically. So this is an interesting thing because for the past couple of years, best picture and best director have been split. Mm-hmm. So Damien Chazelle wins best director for La La Land. Moonlight wins best picture. Alfonso Cuarón wins best director for Gravity. Twelve Years a Slave wins best film. Alejandro Iñárritu wins Best Director for The Revenant. Spotlight wins Best Picture. You know, yeah. this has become kind of an area that they feel a bit more comfortable splitting it in, which there are good arguments for and against it. It feels weird to not give a film director if you're going to give it picture, and it also tends to be, it's great that Moonlight won, but you're really not going to give director to Barry Jenkins. You're not going to give director to Steve McQueen. You know, like there's a pattern forming. So my guess is because I think Shape of Water might win Best Picture. And Jordan Peele would win director? No. No, if that's the case, I think it'll go to Christopher Nolan. And that will be billed mm. as, oh, it's typical Oscars going for the beauty thing. Like, Dunkirk is really not Oscar bait. No. It's completely bereft of, like, an emotional, like, not a tearjerker pull, because it's actually a very empathetic movie, but it's not one that's about the nobility of war or the bravery of men. It's actually about how war makes you a terrified coward, and there's no shame in that. It's a phenomenal piece of work, and I'm glad that it's finally being recognized but i feel like a lot of people are ready to write it off based on what they assume it's like than rather what it's mm-hmm. like 
because Dunkirk is not like a big macho celebration of war. It couldn't be further from that, actually. So, honestly, any of them winning, I'm fine with. Yeah. There's no villain in this. Like, if Martin McDonough had been nominated, I think there would have been problems. But, you know, there are people who I'd love to have seen in there, like Dee Reese from Mudbound. Mm-hmm. She, she's incredible. Maybe James Mangold for Logan. Luca Guadagnino could have gotten in for Call Me By Your Name. I would have loved to have seen Sean Baker for The Florida Project, but, like, who do you kick out? Right. Exactly. See, this is where... Can I have a mini rant? Mm-hmm. Why this... do you think you need to ask for permission? <laughs> well, no, I'm just... It's more of a warning. <laughs> rant is uh, coming. <laughs> so... This is where, when we have a whole history and institution built on certain bigotries or discriminations, or even the opposite of holding up certain people, you end up in this situation where I do think Christopher Nolan is a good choice in this category. I love Dunkirk. And, you know, he built this movie. It's it's a great piece of cinematic craftsmanship. But when you have 90 years of history of rewarding the white dude over everybody else, this win would feel it would taint this win if it happens. So it did no one any favors. You know, it's not doing the white male directors who are still, who some of them are still going to be making great movies, any favors going forward. And, you know, you have, they also have this, we just kind of were tongue in cheek about Denzel Washington, but, you know, when you fail to reward people at the time of their career, what deserved it. And then you keep playing catch up with your awards. Mm Hmm. You know, you you cheapen your entire foundation. I mean, that's something that they're always going to have to deal with. The other possibility is that Del Toro wins Best Director because who doesn't love Guillermo Del Toro and he's been winning, you know, Director's Awards left and right and then Best Picture allows them to go a bit riskier. In that case, Get Out could get in. That wasn't a pun. But, (laughs) you know... I mean, for me, the options are, if they're going to make the very Academy choice, it's free billboards. If they're going to make something that feels like the right choice, it's also something of a kind of consensus pick. It's The Shape of Water. If they want to pick a film that is the encapsulation of the moment in time, then it goes to Get Out. Uh-huh. And if they want to be Dex, it goes to Darkest Hour. <laughs> but I don't think it will. That, to me, just feels like, oh, I like the film about the Churchill. Let's give that something. Mm-hmm. I... <sighs> I think you guys are going to hate me for using this word, but I think three billboards will get it on the zeitgeist. No, I think the zeitgeist has passed. For the voting academy, for for what we know of the demographics of the voting academy, you think the zeitgeist has passed? Hang on a second. Yeah, vinyl polls don't close until the end of February. No, but I think three billboards zeitgeist has passed just because you can't ignore the conversation around it. You can't ignore the fact that there seem to be a lot of white critics who are going, you know, well, I didn't have a problem with it. I don't understand what their problem is with it. It's like, okay. But also, like, the fact that it didn't get as many nominations as many of us were thinking it would. That it doesn't get director, and that is notable. I mean, the last time that a film won Best Picture without getting a director nomination was Argo. Yeah, but that stung Ben Affleck. I mean, everyone remember Argo? (laughs) Film that comes out in the same year as The Master, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Zero Dark Thirty, Amour, and then it's Argo. Okay. So I just don't see it. I mean, I could be wrong. This is a year where I feel less secure in my predictions than ever. You know me, I'm a pessimist. Which is a thrill, but yeah. Well, there is no Russian word for optimist. But the thing was, the (laughs) evening of the Oscars last year, I had already written my article on why La La Land won Best Picture. 
So I don't want to put my eggs in the basket anymore. You ever tried to rewrite an article at six in the morning with no sleep? Really hard. I think like literally every film journalist across the world did that. Remember my favorite tweet of that year I, when uh, an editor for which paper I don't remember said, I finally got to say the phrase, stop the presses. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, I mean, what are your final predictions? For me, I'm going to say Del Toro for director. I think you're probably right, although I would love to see Greta. If we're talking about momentum of what I brought up earlier, I think you're right. Also, he gives the best speeches. Just, just That's the thing that. is, people like they like a good speech. Mm-hmm. And in a year where frankly every every joke on that that award se- on that you know show Jimmy Kimmel's going to be telling a lot of jokes about Trump, wouldn't the best way to kind of shove it to him to be to reward the Mexican dude? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could reward it to the black guy or the woman as well and it's kind of the same thing. Like th- that's the kind of thing that they may be thinking about. But also he's just really charming and everyone likes him and being liked in the industry matters especially for the Oscars. Unless you're the leader for Best Actor this year. So let's get on to that. Best Actor. Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. Adorable. He's had a good year. His fans terrify me. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Fred. Daniel Day-Lewis did a movie and got nominated. What? <laughs> uh, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. So proud of him. It's a guy from Skins. I can't get over that. Uh, Gary Oldman for Dark Star. <sighs> Boo. Yep. Boo! And Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel Esquire. Or Norbit 2, according to RogerEbert.com. I, like, okay, so I, here's my theory behind this. This is the Me Too year. Mm-hmm. Casey Affleck is not going to be handing out the award this year. And if you've read the deadline piece, which is like total propaganda bullshit about that, you'll understand my anger. But I feel like the Academy are also regretting that they gave it to Casey Affleck. Mm-hmm. for the optics. I mean, this time last year, we were all talking about it's going to be bad optics for the Oscars if they give it to the accused sexual harasser, but now it's impossible for them to ignore that. And there's part of them that's like, we should have just given it to Denzel. He was really good in Fences. He was very Denzel-y. <laughs> but it's that other thing. You don't give it to them when they deserve it. You give it to them for catch-up. But now I feel like Denzel's almost in that stage where they'll just keep nominating him Meryl-style. Uh-huh. Which I, I have no problem with. Like, you should be paying endless penance for the fact that you didn't give him it for Malcolm X. I'm okay with that. But, like, I, I don't even know what to say about the film because, like, I don't think I've even seen a trailer for it. I've seen pictures from it and I've seen that, like, the poster is pretty cool, but it's like Dorky Denzel. Is that, like, his version of going ugly? According to Wikipedia, on a budget of $22 million, it has a box office of 11.9. Which, for a Denzel movie, is shockingly bad. I have seen one trailer for it. Like, can I just say, I didn't even know Colin Farrell was in this movie until I'm now looking it up. Yeah, he's right what? Now. Yeah, Colin Farrell's in it. Huh? You know who's having a good time right now? Colin Farrell. Welcome back, Colin. We're glad to have you. Please come back to Fantastic Beasts, please, please. Oh, I don't even want to. No, we're not even touching that. Fuck that. But like, I just want to get that in there. So, okay, so, on the surface of it is it is it one of those things where we are okay with everyone but gary oldman just because fuck gary oldman no because like i feel like there are people that could have been put in there but then again there is one who didn't get in there who i'm forever thankful he didn't get in there (coughs) suck it james franco suck it so here's my thing right 
I generally like the Florida Project. I don't think that that's necessarily a good performance. Like, let's put aside all the accusations for a second, and I hate that I even have to say that, because it's clear that the Oscars are kind of doing a bit of cleanup. But it's really hard, out of that context, to judge that performance as a performance, because it's more an impression of this guy. It's a very good impression, but I'm not sure that it's that it's acting, partly because I don't think the role allows for it, but partly wait, wait, because... Sorry, which role are we like talking about? Uh, which... He plays Tommy Wiseau in The Disaster Artist, which is a movie about the making of the room. Okay. So he plays like this cultural figure, but who's a figure in a very tiny subset of culture. Uh-huh. I mean, the entire movie is an inside joke for people who have seen The Room. I have no idea how that movie plays to people who haven't been to like four or five midnight screenings of The Room like I have. It just seems utterly perplexing in that front. And I think that might have hit it in that way before. Because the nominations shot the day after this, the LA Times story about him broke. So there have been a bunch of pu- publications that have been trying to get conspiratorial about his non-nomination. Like, I, I saw one guy tried to claim the Academy got their their, their um, accountants to pull his name, even though he'd already been nominated. And it's like, they'd never get away with that. Uh-huh. Like, they wouldn't want to put up with the scandal of that. It may just be that old white dudes in the Academy didn't like the disaster artist because it only got one other nomination here. So I don't buy the conspiracy, and I think that's unfair. I think it is just a case of they like Denzel. They probably didn't even see his movie because apparently no one seems to have seen his movie. They just ticked his name. It's like Meryl at this point in time, but Meryl's audience had a bigger audience, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. It doesn't really matter, fool. I think Harold one has got it in the bag, unfor- which is for unfortunately for a not good performance. I, okay, so have you guys seen Darkest Hour? No. No. Right. So the thing about Darkest Hour is it's directed by Joe Wright, who did Atonement and the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice, who has been a good director. But the last movie he made was Pan, which is a huge disaster. Almost kills his career. So he needs to come back and he decides he's going to make the most kind of Oscar baiting movie possible. But he has no interest in telling the story of Winston Churchill. The movie, he's actually staggeringly uninterested in his actors. He wants to show off all the directorial tricks he has in his bag, whether or not they fit the story. So he doesn't do anything to rein in or really direct Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. He kind of is like, well, you're in the prosthetics. That will do the work. But then his performance isn't modulated in any way to actually be effective. I mean, if you're going to make a hagiography about Winston Churchill, you might as well make a fucking good hagiography, you know? There's also one scene that is just truly awful where Winston rides the, the London Underground with the common plebs. And they're all like, Mr. Churchill, you can't surrender to the Nazis. We got to fight on, Mr. Churchill. And I don't know why I'm doing that accent, but <laughs> it's so cheesy. And then there's one black guy on the, un- the underground, and it's like they're all united together. And it's like, sick, what is this movie? But it's very, like, that's the closest I think we get to Oscar bait this year. Because even the post seems much more muted. Like, the post is more interested in getting to the people than the voters. Mm-hmm. But it's that, it's what Alina said it, it's catch up syndrome. If you wanted to give Gary Oldman an Oscar, you would have done it for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Or you would have nominated him for Sid and Nancy. Fuck, I wouldn't have minded getting seen, like, recognition for Dracula, which is now on Netflix and I get to watch it all the time now. So it's going to be really shitty for them to give him this award given all the allegations <coughs> we've heard about him. But it almost feels inevitable at this point in time. And I don't know who would win it other than him. Maybe Timothy Chalamet, but they don't tend to give Best Actor winners to very young men. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm really fascinated by the Chalamet nomination. One, he seems to be like straddling the line between being a prestige figure and being like fangirl bait. 
His fans are fucking terrifying, by the way. But he's now got, like, the ingenue narrative that we tend to reserve for women. Mm-hmm. Like, usually this time of year, you would see that that that, that thing. Like, like when Alicia Vikander, Vikander won, you know? Mm-hmm. It was her year because she was the rising star. Or Brie Larson can had that. Emma Stone has a bit. Margot Robbie has a little bit of it this year. But we tend to give that to women because we reduce women's shelf life by about 20 years compared to men. And we kind of like the idea of men putting in the work, you know? Uh-huh. We love the sort of slightly grizzled character actor who's proven themselves. You know, they, they don't tend to get it because they're... A good, they've put in a great performance at such a young age so Timothy Chalamet even getting nominated in that aspect is really striking honestly out of those five I would give it to Daniel Kaluuya because yeah. I think what he's doing is deceptively hard Yeah, like you can look at what he's doing saying oh that seems not he's like got the, the quieter role of the film god he's so good in that movie but there's so many layers to it I mean there's so many layers to all, pretty much all the roles in that film like what Betty, what Betty Gabriel is doing Mm-hmm. is especially striking. Even Alison Williams, who I've always thought was just such a non-entity on like the four episodes of Girls that I've seen, is so chilling in that role. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of hope that she makes that her like niche now as an actress. <laughs> it's just like the most terrifying basic white woman ever. <laughs> so I, I mean, I would give it to Kaluuya, but I think we all know who's going to win, right? Yeah. But Academy, you can surprise us. Mm-hmm. Although maybe maybe not with Daniel Day Lewis because like he's just being himself with less yelling. Can we all agree that he's not retiring? No, it's not going to happen. Okay, no. um, like he'll Paul he'll unre- call him again in ten years because it's what happened with Scorsese and Gangs of New York. Yeah, like Hayao Miyazaki, I think, has retired less times now than Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be cool if he turns up. I assume he will. Like. Have you seen how many tattoos he's got, by the way? No. Holy shit, like, I am stunned. Who wants to read out Best Actress while I show pictures of Daniel DeLuise's tattoos? Raiden, you take this. Alright, we have Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water. Yay! Mm-hmm. Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Margot Robbie yes. in I, Tanya. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Sorsha? Sorsha? Sorsha. Sorsha Ronan. Uh, for Lady Bird and Meryl Streep for The Post. I mean, my initial reaction is these are all good performances. I think even Frances McDormand is getting kind of tired of the accolade she's getting because she said at the SAGs, younger actresses need doorstops too. Okay, I, this is a side point. Did anyone hear the story she told about when she got together with Joel Cohen? No. of the Cohen brothers so um, he they made Blood Simple together in like 1984 I think it was which was their first film um, and he bought her a collection of like crime novels old school noir novels to read and she said which should I read first and he said the postman always rings twice so she said she went home devoured it in one night and said it was the sexiest book she'd ever read and then says do you want to come around to my house and we can talk about the book so they so they talked about literature and drank hot chocolate and she said that's how he got me he got me with books which is like Oh, so beautiful! <laughs> and she's in, she's so good. Like, I mean, that's the thing is you can't really go wrong with a Frances McDormand performance. And I just love that she goes to award shows in denim jackets, wearing no makeup, and has that look on her face of, oh, good, it's like my eighty fourth award of the year. Fine, okay. Hmm. Like one of the the only reason I kind of wish Casey Affleck was handing out Best Actor this year was because if she wins, she would have like drop kicked that fucker. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> just like kicked the balls. <laughs> I feel like I don't think this is a lock. I don't I think would it's a lock either. I would say that if the shape of water starts to sweep, this would be a very good one for Sally Hawkins. If they wanted to go more with the kind of ingenue narrative, it would go to Margot Robbie. But I feel like that's a much more prickly film. And it doesn't really have any other bigger awards to go with it. Uh, um, yeah, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Well, well, we'll get to that. But in terms of like director, screenplay, picture, mm-hmm. it didn't make any of those. And I think that, that it's rare to see a film kind of get that. I haven't seen I, Tonya, but I have a, I have weird feelings about the narrative around it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's they really have tried... Good. Well, this is the thing is because, like, when I I didn't I, for me, Tonya Harding is a joke on The Simpsons, like, because I wasn't aware of the cultural, like, like, I wasn't aware of this as a sports scandal or even a celebrity scandal, because, I mean, I was young at the time, but also I didn't have, like, who gave a shit about figure skating in Scotland, you know? Mm-hmm. But I I have issues with, like, I mean, they need to get Tonya Harding to personally go away. <laughs> I feel like they tried to bring her out on red carpets and be like Margot Robbie's date in the way that like Marsha Clark was for Sarah Paulson. Mm-hmm. But I think there was a clearer line to make a more sympathetic narrative for Marsha Clark than there is for for for, for Tonya Harding. And Tonya Harding, like I don't know if anyone read the profile that uh, Taffy Brodesser Ackner did of her in the New York Times, which is a very sympathetic piece. But you also get the feeling that being around this woman is exhausting. Oh yeah, definitely. So it seems, but it also seems like the kind of. I mean, one of the, there was a piece in Vogue that was talking about Margot Robbie getting ready for this role, and there was like some qu- bullshit quote from one of the makeup artists saying, "You know, one of the things is just Margot is so luminescently beautiful. How do we make her look like an ugly like Tonya Harding?" And it's like, <laughs> so you put her in a scrunchie and you kind of like give her a bit of blotchy cheeks. It, it, like that's it. Oh wow, I don't know how she fucking copes. Christ, you know, I, I am sorry to you, Margot, that you have to look like everyone else. For- Two months or something. To Margot Robbie's credit, she has not played up that element of the narrative. Like, she's not going on shows saying, like, oh, yeah, I had to put on all this weight and just wear no makeup and it was tragic. Like, she hasn't been doing that. She's, like, I think, savvier than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's another proud tradition that the Oscars have of, hey, women, do you want to get an award? Be a stunning beauty, but look like an average person. Yeah, but the Oscars also have a long-standing tradition of Meryl Streep, so... Yeah, but not for winning necessarily. She has three awards out of how many nominations? Like twenty. That's fair. And only two of them are for leading actress. And there was like a twenty-something year gap in between the final two. Yeah, it's She's the Golden Globes that that really has the oh Meryl Streep rolled out of bed this morning. Here you go, which you know made mm-hmm. uh, Frances McDormand winning over Meryl a surprise. I think Meryl necessarily gives a crap if she wins. No. She's got enough, and like the film did what it was supposed to do, and it's very much like that moment of history kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she would be with Francis on that. Let's give it to the to the younger girls, but I would love to see Sally Hawkins win it because I think she's an extraordinary actress. I but... would love to see Ronan win it. She's been nominated. See... This is her third nomination. Jesus. She's she's just just she's still just like only was being born. Atonement her first. Atonement, Atonement was her first. Brooklyn and then this. And she, like, I have so much love in my heart for Lady Bird. Lady Bird, the character graduated from high school, just 
four years after I did. So it's like we are contemporaries and this whole like how do I figure out who I am moment of teenagerhood is just like Greta and Sorsha just get it so deeply. And I loved it so much. I don't say this to dismiss Greta Garak, who I really like, but I kind of love the fact that her debut film as a director has made more money than all of her boyfriend's films ever. Oh yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I'm just telling you, in like five years' time, Noah Baumbach's going to make a movie about a frustrated indie director who leaves his wife for a younger woman he considers his muse, and then she goes on to be better than him in every way and has to deal with his jealousy. <laughs> like, that movie is coming. <laughs> And hopefully Greta Gerwig will make an even better one. Yeah. I don't hate Noah Baumbach, by the way. I just found that really funny. Okay, Best Supporting Actor. Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project. Deserves to win it. Woody Harrelson for Free Billboards. I mean, it's Woody Harrelson. You know. We haven't mentioned this, but like, has there been a very low-key woodiness sense? Harold? You, you can't no, make his name. he's always that. been around. This is not an assent of any kind. No, he's been nominated before. He's very, like, he's a well-loved kind of jobbing actor, you know? So Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water. He's brilliant. Which is kind of a similar sort of thing. You know, everyone likes Richard Jenkins. Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World. (laughs) I love this. I love this. The petty. The petty. Do you know what this is to me? Like, this is like when Barb from Stranger Things got an Emmy nomination. It's almost like nominating a meme at this point in time, but I, I'm kind of here for it. Yeah. I just love it. It's like, yeah, I shot this movie in nine days. You know, I didn't really do any research. How did I prepare? I answered the phone. <laughs> and then Sam Rockwell for Free Billboards. I kind of hate that I'm actively rooting against Sam Rockwell because he's a treasure and he's a criminally underrated actor who's done wonderful work in everything, including Charlie's Angels somehow. But it just feels like like he could do a role like that in his sleep. Mm-hmm. I would much rather see Willem Dafoe win. And for a while, he was like the assumed frontrunner. And then Sam Rockwell started snatching up you know, the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and things. What Willem Dafoe is doing in Florida Project is so subtle. He plays the manager of this motel where all these people basically live. And he has to sort of tread this fine line between being a manager, a landlord, like a therapist, a babysitter... It's probably the most normal character <laughs> Willem Dafoe's ever played. I um, mean, like, that's a super low bar. <laughs> I mean, the last time Willem Dafoe got nominated for an Oscar was when he played a vampire. He is the only actor to ever be Oscar nominated for playing a vampire, funnily enough. It's for Shadow of the Vampire, if anyone's seen it. He plays mm-hmm. Max Shrek, which is awesome. So, But he's so good in this, and it's like, how do you not have an award already? So that would be cool for me. I think the ultimate petty blow would be to give it to Christopher Plummer. <laughs> I see happening, but it I feel happen. like Christopher Plummer is not actively campaigning because he's like, I did not put time in my schedule for this. <laughs> I'm on holiday. He may just it. be over like campaigning in general. <laughs> well, he's already won his Oscar. He won it a few years ago. That's why it's actually Chris. All of Christopher Plummer's Oscar nominations have been like. In his 70s and 80s. He yeah. wasn't nominated for like Sound of Music or Waterloo. Which is probably good. He would have been super mad about it. 
I will say, like, I hate to give Seth, uh, Seth MacFarlane credit for anything, but the Oscar ceremony that he hosted, where they brought on Christopher Plummer to read out supporting actress, and he did the bit where the Nazi runs on stage and says, Captain, he's gone. And he got to do his Sound of Music moment. It's like the most I've ever liked Seth MacFarlane. He's like, oh, you're a Von Trapp nerd like everyone else. I mean, Seth MacFarlane is, is a music dude. I would so. be a music dude, not a comedy dude, actually. Yeah. Um, but, like, also, I feel like Alina has to root for Christopher Plummer because he's Canadian. Yeah, pretty much. Von Trapp was so handsome. <laughs> really, really <laughs> was. Oh, my God, the chemistry that he had with Julie Andrews, like... <sighs> good times, good times. You know what? Like, it's Christopher Plummer. Who doesn't love Christopher Plummer? I know, right? Yeah. He's still going 88. I'm very happy. Uh, I, but I think Rockwell, but I'd love to vote win it. But I kind of want the petty. I want the yeah. petty. Yeah, I'm here for the petty. Okay, so hands up. Who thinks Sam Rockwell's winning it? Just make a noise that your hand is up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a... Yeah, I think acting, it, but I'm not happy about it. I feel like if an acting surprise is going to happen, it'll be in this category. Yeah. I mean, the vote could split, but that doesn't tend to happen as often as people theorize that it will. So I, I feel like Rockwell's got it. As long as he dances on stage when he wins... Like, I'll allow it. Okay, supporting actress. Mary J. Blige for Mudbound. Which is wow. awesome. She's so good. Alison Janney for I, Tonya. She's gonna win. Yeah. Leslie I'm... Manville for Phantom Fred. She was great, but that movie is so fucked up. Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird. Also, I would have thought she had it in the bag after I saw Lady Bird. But Alison Janney is... Yeah. And Octavia Spencer for The Shape of War. She's great in it, but... We love Octavia. We love Octavia. She's the only black actress who's won an Oscar and continued to be nominated after winning her Oscar. It's true. She's kind of bullshit. Like, Mm. I'm glad that you realize that she exists and that she's wonderful, but that doesn't mean that you're not a racist institution, guys. Right. Um, I, I mean, yeah. I, like, I still haven't seen Phantom Fred, but I fucking love Leslie Manville. She is, you know, f- the former Mrs. Gary Oldman, so I'm really sorry she has to watch her shitty ex-husband win an Oscar. <laughs> but she is in a bunch of Mike Lee movies she's really wonderful in. She's in a lot of television work here. She does a lot of stage work. She's done her Law & Order UK, which is like, you know, our short-term version of Law & Order. She's in the TV show Harlots, if anyone's watched that. I love Harlots. You know, she's done her Shakespeare. She's done her... Jane Austen. She was in something Jane Austen recently. I assume she will. She's British. She's got obviously been in it. <laughs> she's a phenomenal actress, really. She absolutely is. Uh, and I'm glad that she kind of gets recognition. That, for me, was one of the more surprise nominations. Like, Phantom Fred in general, because I think a lot of people thought it's going to get best actor nomination but that's it it's too esoteric for the for the academy mm-hmm. and Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't tend to get award as awarded as often as as people think he does mm-hmm. so I was very glad that he um, that, that, that kind of came through for him just as a fan Oh, have you, have you also ever seen the, the BBC drama River with Stellan Skarsgård Leslie Manville's in that oh and I, was, I wasn't thinking of Jean Austen she was in North and South well, she's done her time in like the, the mm, period drama. She's a British actress. Yeah. She's a working yeah. class British actress, so yay. But I think, like like you said, 
for a long time it seemed like Laurie Metcalf was kind of a front runner. She's an actress a lot of people love. She was, you know, celebrated stage screen big and small. She's won her Tony. She's, you know, on Roseanne, that kind of thing. Uh, and then Alison Janney. I think it's a showier role from what I understand. Yeah, oh yeah. And, like, it's a similar thing. Is supporting actress is a good category to give an award to for those people who have put in the years of work. Mm-hmm. You know, best actress tends to be a bit more of like the ingenue, but supporting actress is, you know, hey, we've watched your television for like thirty years, so we should finally give you something. And I think, if nothing else, there are a lot of there are a lot of West Wing fans who are like, yay, it's time. So she's gonna look stunning. I can't wait. Oh, she's gonna look fabulous, and she's not gonna. It's like no one's gonna be mad that no. that Alison Janney won an Oscar. You no, know, and I, she's I, she's been doing before she got the West Wing. She was doing character work for decades but yeah she like like once again she's put in the work she can do everything she can do very broad sitcom she can do really esoteric and indie dramas i mean just look at the list of things that she's been in i mean you'll find about 10 different things that you love so shout out to the tall women from mm-hmm. a not tall woman I, I think she's she's got it in the bag it wouldn't be surprising to me if Laurie Metcalf did when it depends how much passion there is for that film and where it's placed. Mm-hmm. So next category? I mm-hmm. can read this one out. Go for it. Best original, original screenplay. The Big Sick, written by Emily V. Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani, based on their life. Yay, <laughs> that's very good. Get Out, uh, written by Jordan Peele. Lady Bird, written by Greta Gerwig. Uh, sidebar, a lot of the screenplays written by the directors in this year. Mm-hmm. The Shape mm-hmm. of Water, also written by Guillermo del Toro, screenplay and story, and Vanessa Taylor. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, written by Martin McDonough. So this is another place where I think you could see a split happen. Like, if they want to give... like I think Three Billboards is going to do well for the acting. So I don't necessarily see it getting writing, especially up against someone like Jordan Peele or Greta Gerwig. Yeah, I I think it'll go to Greta Gerwig because I don't think she's going to win director or picture. But they'll no, they're going to Sofia Coppola her. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I like once again, there's nothing here I could be mad about. I would love to have seen the big set get more. Like I thought that Holly Hunter had a chance in supporting actress, but it is just very exciting to see Camille Nanjiani and Emily Gordon getting all of this much deserved attention. Yeah, it's also I think one of the few things that Amazon actually got nominated for this year, which is really fan- fascinating because mm-hmm. last year they did so well with Manchester by the Sea and The Salesman, but they had a bunch of films that they I think they were trying to push as Oscar stuff and it didn't work. There was um, they had uh, Last Flag Flying, which was a Richard Linklater film. They had Wonderstruck, the Todd Haynes movie. They had Wonder Wheel. <laughs> By Woody <laughs> And as much as Kate Winslet tried, she couldn't make that happen. No. Oh my god, that was one of the more pathetic sights of the Oscar season, actually. Yeah. But, like, you know, I was expecting them to kind of dominate more just because they had all of these films. And then the one film that they had that was a massive success at the Cannes Film Festival, which was Lynn Ramsey's film, You Were Never Really Here, they pushed back to this year. Hmm. And I think that they're kind of regretting that because I think they could, they probably could have got it in a bunch of categories if they tried. But, you know, they better push it this year because Lynn Ramsey's wonderful and deserves love. Yeah. If anyone, if you've never seen We Need to Talk About Kevin, it's not an easy watch, mm-hmm. but it's a brilliant one. Original, like, I think, I think Lady Bird. I think you're right. I mean, I think your original point is exactly how I think. I think this is how they're going to reward the person they don't give best director to. 
that's I mean that's pretty traditional. But they have a chance to actually give like three awards there for three different films. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a sweep. Yeah. Which I think would be preferable. Just because it's such an embarrassment of riches this year, don't you yeah. kinda wanna spread it around? Yeah. So in that aspect I think like like you know, Ray said perfectly it's gonna be a Sofia Coppola kind of situation. Which in a way kind of sucks because it's like, oh, you'll give the women this award, but you'll pretend that they don't direct or stuff. But I can't be mad. Like, once again, there's no nomination here that's like, why are you here? Whereas in adapted screenplay, there kind of is, and we'll get to that. So, Ladybird. Yep. And best adapted screenplay is Call Me By Your Name, James Ivory, based on the novel by Andrea Simon. The Disaster Artist... Scott Neustadter and Michael Weber, based on the book by Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell. Logan, Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green, based on the X-Men comics and motion pictures. Molly, yeah, <laughs> Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin, based on the memoir by Molly Bloom. And Mudbound, Virgil Williams and Dee Reese, uh, based on the novel by Hilary Jordan. I, I want Logan to take it just because this is the only Logan nod. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it will, though. No. Um, I'm I think kind Call of, Me By Your Name has it. Yeah. I think so, too. I'm really kind of hoping for Mudbound. I, um, I would. I think Dearest would completely deserve it. Um, I, like I said, I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name, but it's James fucking Ivory of Merchant Ivory. He's mm. about 89, and he's never won an Oscar before. Mm. And this has been his passion project for years, so I feel like there's a good narrative there. And it was a very well-acclaimed film with a well-acclaimed script, so it's not like, you know, a catch-up nomination or anything in that aspect. I would love to see it go to, to Logan, because I think what that script is doing is, I don't want to say groundbreaking, but superhero movies have had a really hard time breaking out in non-technical categories. So what this this film, even getting that nomination, is a huge step forward in that regard, and it's stunning both as a superhero adaptation and as a film in its own right. It's beautifully tender, it's ruthless and it's violent, it's cynical but has enough hope in it to keep you going. It's a really great character study, it's darkly funny in places, it's deeply political. You know, it's there's so many balls in the air with that film. Patrick so Stewart I like, broke my heart into a million uh, pieces. Like, you know what? There's there's someone I like I would like to have seen get yeah. a supporting actor nomination, but I knew it wasn't gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. It's just oh god, still thinking about that. Just yeah, that one. That, that's a movie that has lingered with me for close to a year now. I I think Call Me by Your Name is going to win. Like, did anybody see Molly's Game? Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. I had a blast with Molly's Game for like the first two thirds. Mm-hmm. Like it's Sarkany being as Sarkany as he can, but Jessica Chastain's having a ball doing it. It's smart and fizzy enough to keep moving forward. Evil Toby Maguire, played by Michael Sarah, is brilliant. And then it gets into the third act, and it's like Sarkin couldn't help himself. It's like, you know what? I haven't had any mansplaining yet. Shit, I need to write a scene where Kevin Costner completely mansplains Jessica Chastain's life to her. And I was yep. just like, God damn it, you were so close. Sorkin can't help himself. Oh, he's so bad. He's so bad. And, like, because Jessica Chastain's so good in that movie. Like, she's basically playing a femme fatale mm-hmm. who is aware that she's a femme fatale and has to kind of navigate what that means. It's, it's basically about a woman who kind of enjoys destroying men's lives, but then they have to try and add daddy issues, which I was so annoyed about because apparently that's not in the book. 
because Sarkin just can't help himself. Yep. I was so taken by Michael Sarah in that movie, just when you realize who he's playing. <laughs> um, it's actually, Toby Maguire, by the way. Toby Maguire. For, uh, for people who don't know, read, if you haven't read the book, he's actually comes across as a much bigger dick in the book in real life than he does in the film. They actually tone it down. There is a scene in the book where he tries to make Molly Bloom bark like a seal so that she can collect a tip. Mm-hmm. And when she refuses, he basically has a tantrum. So uh, go fuck yourself, Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see Logan get in. I would love to have seen Molly's game in someone else's hands. <laughs> or at least another director. Because mm. it's Sarkin directing himself. Mudbound would be a very worthy winner. I like the fact that it even got the nominations that it did because it is a Netflix movie and it's still a hump they haven't overcome. But yeah. James Ivory's a legend, so I wouldn't be mad. I feel like if they give it to the disaster artist, they're just asking for awkwardness. Oh yeah, definitely. So, like, we're kind of getting into technicals. I do want to talk about a couple of ones in particular. I want to talk about animated feature because mm-hmm. I think we all know who's going to win it, but Academy Award nominee, the boss, baby. I know, right? <laughs> you know, I- I've seen none of them this year, but it's Coco, right? It's yeah. Coco. It's Coco. I mean, Disney and Pixar have a massive advantage in this field anyway, but, like, everyone loved Coco, so I haven't seen it yet because it's ju- just got a release here, but... It's, you know, everyone I know who saw that film basically wept like a small child. So mm-hmm. they love that kind of harshness. And it just, the Annie Awards were either last night or the night before, and it basically swept. So there's love for it. Um, it would be cool to see Loving Vincent win just because of the technical achievement. It is the first oil painted animated no, feature. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It's about, it's like the story of Vincent van Gogh, but they have. Well, I mean, um, I figured that part out. I didn't realize no, but it was oil painting. But it's, it's, it's animated like van Gogh paintings. Oh, my And it was God. made partly through Kickstarter. It's got Saoirse Ronan and Douglas Booth and Ian Turner in it. There have been a lot of criticisms. The plot isn't, the storytelling isn't necessarily that good, but it's like, we don't care. It looks stunning. And it costs, you know, five million to make and it's made about 30. So if you haven't seen the trailer alone, just watch that because it looks exceptional. Ferdinand's nomination is more baffling to me than The Boss Baby in many ways. Because the Ferdinand, Ferdinand didn't make that much money. It doesn't look that great. Like, I feel like they were just desperate to not nominate the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> so, but like, it almost doesn't matter because it's going to be, no. it's going to be cool. Like, no one is mad about that. No, uh, and I don't think that everything that's happened with John Lasseter will impede that. So, mm. like, ugh, God, this has been a weird fucking few months, hasn't it? It, it has <sighs> several levels. There is another one I want to talk about, which is well, when we get to music, can we can we duck into documentary for a minute? Oh, well, let's sure. just mention, I guess, the countries that got the nods for best foreign. Sure. So Chile got it for a fantastic woman. Lebanon for the insult. Russia for Loveless. Do you want to cheer? Isn't like, it the same guy Russia who? Here. Yeah, it's always a, Andres Vigintsev. It's the same guy who did the, Lefa- the Leviathan. The, the guy's entire career is basically fuck Putin. It is. And Russia really mad at him, but they still keep putting the film forward for the nominations because they know that everyone else likes it. My brother, by the way, sidebar. My brother told me uh, Death of Stalin got banned in Russia. I saw that. Jason Isaac's so proud. (laughs) Which, of course, immediately means all the Russians will pirate it. There's nothing that will make a movie more popular. (laughs) Apparently, Finland set up a screen just across the border. Oh! (laughs) Awesome. 
Hungary got nominated for On Body and Soul, and Sweden got nominated for The Square. This is interesting because what I assumed to be the front runner in the fade from Germany didn't get nominated. France's 120 beats per minute, which is about the ACT UP AIDS movement in the 90s in Paris, didn't get nominated. First They Killed My Father, which was Angelina Jolie's movie about the Khmer Rouge massacre, didn't get nominated. Mm-hmm. It didn't even get long, it didn't even make the shortlist. So this was a sort of weird mixed category where people are ultimately, I think, quite happy with the five choices. It would be wonderful to see a fantastic woman win. It is a, a story of a trans woman whose lover dies and she has to contend with um, societal bigotry and the, the um, anger of his family in order to basically mourn him properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, I don't know, I mean, the square is way too weird for them. It's very like abrasive and strange and it's two and a half hours long and it features commentary on political correctness and the modern art world but it does feature a really fit Swedish guy in the lead Uh, but it did win the Palme d'Or but I don't think they really care about stuff like that Mm -hmm. and I feel like Loveless may just be a little too depressing for them and I don't know if they'll want to I I think they just won't give it to Russia they don't care that it's anti-Putin all they see is Russian Mm -hmm. I think there's that as well it's it's a tough movie to sit through from what I understand like the, the the I feel like the consensus would actually like almost oddly the consensus pick would be the story of the trans woman Starring an actual trans woman. See Hollywood? It can be done. <laughs> but, like, honestly, I would love to have seen Angelina Jolie get nominated here. I don't know if you guys have seen her film. It's on Netflix, but it's astounding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the best thing she's ever directed. Like, it, you're kind of stunned that she's managed to pull it off. But it's a hard thing to go, like, sit on your couch with Netflix and go, I know, let's watch a movie about the Khmer right. massacre in Cambodia. Yeah. I didn't expect to get nominated, but I'm kind of sad that the it sort of sank without trace, and I, I partly blame Netflix for that. But I, I, I would say a fantastic woman, but I haven't really seen any of them because foreign language releases are really fickle in the UK. I don't know what it's like in your guys' side. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we did see one of the documentary nominees. Yeah. Icarus. Yeah. I'm so glad that got in, man. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, my gut reaction is Last Man in Aleppo is going to win for Best Documentary. See, Um, I don't think... I I think Faces Places might take it because mm -hmm. it's Agnes Varda. The the legend of the French New Wave cinema. She just got an honorary Oscar a a couple of months ago. But, like, this isn't like... You know, remember when OJ Made in America won? That was a year where basically all of the nominees in that category were talked about really publicly like there was drive behind all those nominations there was fair was in there as well this year i don't really see that for any of these films necessarily it's just people haven't been getting as revved up about documentaries but i feel like faces places has the most the closest to that i like i said i've only seen icarus which is completely enthralling to me so russia might get something Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I love the basic how it turns from this somewhat like sports and how to dope document it. Suddenly, it's a thriller. Suddenly, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, okay. With with probably murder and and guys in witness protection. I know. And like, oh, 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 wow. Poor, poor <laughs> Brian Fogel, who uh, I know is the Jutopia dude. Yeah, he co-wrote a play I saw that I really liked. It's a comedy. It's it's hilarious. And that, like this poor guy who just like, well, okay, I want to know how what how like can could I dope myself in a race? And suddenly he's in the middle of a thriller. Yeah, 
he basically wants to do super size me but with steroids and then all of a sudden there's a massive like you know bringing down whistleblower scandal of the entire like russian olympic committee yeah it's it's brilliant and it's on netflix also a shout out to strong island which is directed by jan spard who i believe is the first transgender director to be nominated for an oscar so very cool and i believe his i believe his film is actually on netflix as well it's called strong island so it's about the murder of his brother mm-hmm but yeah, I, I would think it would be cool to see faces places win because Agnes Barda is a legend. I just don't know if there's as much drive behind that category as this year, just because you know, once you've let in the the seven hour documentary on OJ Simpson on ESPN, it, it's you know the only way is down. <laughs> You're such a cinephile. We love you for it. Well, it's people can pay me to do this, you know. <laughs> so I want to talk about best original song because. Okay. Okay. I'm fascinated by this category. So, uh, Mighty River from Mudbound by Mary J. Blige. Uh, Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name by Sufjan Stevens, like the, the legendary indie musician. Remember Me from Coco by the uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. They wrote EGOT. Let it... e- EGOT, Robert Lopez. It, yes. You know, they wrote some song called Let It Go. You, you've probably heard of it. <laughs> this was Stand Up For Something by Diane Warren and Common, which is from Marshall, the movie about um, Fergus Marshall. With with uh, Chadwick Boseman because he must play every historical black figure ever, and this is me from the Greatest Showman. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so here's the thing: the Greatest Showman is a huge hit. Yeah. It cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. It got shut out of every category but this one. And I'm and I'm also mad that it even existed just because partly it seems like the exact kind of scam that P.T. Barnum would be pulling off. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's make me out to be an uber handsome musical man who cared about the little people and fought for everyone to be themselves. Like you're P.T. Barnum, fuck off. But also, it stopped Hugh Jackman from campaigning for Logan. Yeah. <laughs> so screw it for just for that. I. But yeah. this is thing is, I feel like that song is going to win because it's the kind of barnstorming big number. And Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who wrote it, are the guys that did Dear Evan Hansen and La La Land. And I am still super super salty that not only did they swipe Lin-Manuel Miranda's Oscar. They did it with the most boring song from La La Land. Uh-huh. The most boring one. Can I just say, I'm going to be really mad if they get the EGOT before they're 35. Yeah. Because that just makes me feel so... I need to have a lie down. By the way, their upcoming projects are all the Disney live-action remakes. Aladdin and Snow White. Yeah. So that's... I mean, I think that's... It's the kind of song that'll have a really big performance at the Oscars as well. And then they'll have to compare it to basically Sophie and Stevens sitting with his guitar and being really quiet and emotional and, you know, thoughtful. And they don't go for that. Original score, I think, is interesting. Uh, Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead for Phantom Fred, Alexander Desplat for The Shape of Water, John Williams for Star Wars The Last Jedi, and Carter Burwell for Free Billboards. Like, they're, they're, they're names we all know, right? Except for Johnny Greenwood, who is a wonderful composer, but his films don't tend to get nominated. Um, yeah. He did the score for There Will Be Blood. Like, he tends to exclusively work with Lynn Ramsey and Paul Thomas Anderson, so obviously I love him. You know, I was actually surprised it got in here just because I don't think the Academy voters know who Radiohead are. Right. <laughs> That's probably why it's in there, because if they knew he was Radiohead, they'd be like, what? No. Yeah. 
What's a radio head? Why does it have a head? It's, it's, it's such a funny category because, like, you look at it, it's got, you know, Zimmer, Desplat, Williams, and Carter Burwell, and you're like, isn't that just, like, the category? Is it just, like, that's the year after year? Like, it's literally the, the guys who write the music, right? So, a friend of mine, um, after seeing the post, noted something hilarious in the score is that when... Um, I think the guy who swiped who originally swiped the Pentagon Papers was his name was Ellsberg. When he swipes the Pentagon Papers, the score is a riff off of Nedry steals the embryos from Jurassic Park. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that's and, like that's the kind of thing that John Williams is like. One, I have to score this movie in like twenty minutes, so sure. But also, he puts lots of inside jokes into his music. Like He did that with Star Wars. Anakin's theme is taking the Empire theme and the Darth Vader theme and breaking it. Can I just say, like, The Last Jedi was so wonderful. It really was. Um, and I did write an article for Screen Rant arguing that Mark Hamill should get an acting nomination. And I stand by it because uh, he's fucking brilliant in that role. He is just the harangued, beleaguered, cranky space hermit mm-hmm. who then has all a are. twist. Well, oh. We're going to talk about this at length in a future episode, we promise. But all Jedi are cranky, misanthropic hermits at heart. And That's his jokes are so terrible, which I love. <laughs> he yeah. cracks jokes like a man who's spent way too much time on his own talking to porks. Yep, it's wonderful and he should have got nominated but I knew it was never going to happen um, I feel like it's. I would love to see Hans Zimmer get it because I think Hans Zimmer does his best work with he Nolan really does. but he didn't win for Interstellar which he should have done I I, I think it's going to go to Despla for The Shape of Water and I think Despla does too many scores he's kind of <laughs> like Hans he's like Hans Zimmer in that aspect he ends up repeating himself a little too often yeah but when he's on form he's brilliant like one of my favorite scores of all time is his work on the grand budapest hotel mm. which is this weird combination of like a 1930s screwball comedy music mixed with traditional eastern european folk songs mm-hmm. which is his one win by the way of his nomination so far oh that's a surprise to me he's been nominated a lot but that was the only time he's won but he won for the right one because that score is yeah. brilliant but look, he he basically gets nominated, if not every year, then certainly every other year. You know, for some for a guy who's been only been doing film scores for like like about seventeen or eighteen years, like he's yeah. not doing too bad. Yeah, eight nominations since two thousand seven. So yeah, he's yeah. fine. But yeah, like I I don't think there's any winner there. They're all wonderful composers. It's another category that tends to be very male. Yeah, like, women don't tend to get score nominations very often, which sucks. Yeah, Hans I, I Zimmer's the way only Michael won Levi one Oscar. Oscar. He's he's only one for the Lion Wait, King. Wait, which one did he? Is that the only one? I mean, it's the it's, only one. That's a good tour, but is he the yeah. Meryl Streep of? <laughs> no, because well, she's won Williams. three times. But no, yeah, John but Williams you know, like, is that. Like, and once again, not mad. John Williams has you know could take all my money. A big part of my my formative years as a film lover is is just John Williams music. Like, like, no, no one's going to make me mad if they win here. I think Johnny Greenwood's speech would probably be the funniest because I don't think he would have any idea what's going on. But he's also doing the score for You Are Never Really Here, which I'm excited for. Uh, and if, for anyone who's a Radiohead fan, Tom York, the lead singer of Radiohead, is doing the score for the remake of Suspiria, uh, directed by Luca Guadagnino of Call Me By Your Name and starring Tilda Swinton. Because, of course, Tilda Swinton is in the remake of Suspiria. Hmm. 
And Dakota Johnson, because she's finally going to be free of the clutches of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Hopefully with a giant suitcase of money. <laughs> Run free, you never have to speak to Jamie Dornan again. <laughs> exactly. They don't have to I speak hope to your suitcase other. of money is bigger than his, although I doubt it. There is one category I think needs another emphasis, which is Best Cinematography. A woman has finally been nominated for Best Cinematography. Exactly. First time and in history. I don't want her to win. No, this is the thing, like, <laughs> Roger Deakins deserves it, but I want Hoyte Van Hoytema to win it yeah. for Dunkirk. Because that was yeah. holy shit. Holy yeah. fucking shit. <laughs> the first time in my life I care about the cinematography Oscar. It's when I walked out of Dunkirk and said, I think I just understood what cinematography means. Yeah. And he's, he's not Nolan's usual guy. Nolan's usual guy was Wally Fester, and he decided he wanted to be a director. So he was like, shit, I've got to find a new guy to be my cinematographer. And I was like, oh, let's go for this guy, who I think mostly worked with like German and Swedish films. Hmm. It's like, you know what? I got you. And he does. He got Nolan. I feel like that's the only award that I would say Dunkirk probably has in the bag. But if Deakins wins it, it would be about damn time because he's never won before. Roger Deakins is the main cinematographer for the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's wonderful. And he's nominated for Blade Runner, just for our listeners, for Blade Runner yeah. 2049. Blade Runner 2049. So I would like to hear Raiden's opinions on costume design. I, can I just express a brief surprise first? That I yeah, do not see I, Tonya in either makeup and hairstyling or costume. I am appalled that it's not in makeup and hairstyling. I'm yeah, but appalled. then you would have to give a nomination to Victoria and Abdul. And would you want to take that away from them? Yes, I would. I actually had like a horrible like nightmare that Judy Dench would get in for Best Actress on that film. But like best makeup and hairstyling doesn't even have five nominees. There was no reason to exclude Itonia. Yeah, that's a category that tends. To I mean, this the whole makeup and hairstyling category is like wonder. Really? I mean, really? I see the work behind wonder. I see the work behind Darkest Hour in that the prosthetics are nowhere near as like invasive or distracting as they could have been. You know, like he looks like Churchill, but he also still looks like Gary Oldman enough that it's not. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, Hitchcock movie where Anthony Hopkins plays Alfred Hitchcock. And he's wearing so many prosthetics that he looks like Alfred Hitchcock, but it's so distracting to watch. Like, you don't have that problem with this. Yeah. No, I didn't see that, but I saw Black Mass with Johnny Depp. It was the same problem. Can I say how, like, if you view that movie as a vampire movie, it makes a whole lot more sense. (laughs) (laughs) But, like... The Boston accents, that's not my... That, that, Raiden can tell you all about those accents. Yeah, and she discussed did. it at great length in my review. <laughs> my, 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 my film studies professor is from Chicago, and he finds it really hilarious when anyone tries to do an American accent. <laughs> Which is funny, because he doesn't have an American accent anymore. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, makeup and hairstyling, it's a weird category, and not unlike the Super Bowl this afternoon. Yes, I do live in Boston, but Patriots fans are super annoying. <laughs> but also so are Eagles fans so as Saturday Night Live asked last night is there a way they can both lose <laughs> but the thing is like Chris Evans is rooting for one of them but I, I don't want to hurt Chris Evans but I don't want to root for the team that's what Tom Brady's on right yeah and I don't know anything about him I just know that I hate him no it's fun. you don't have to you don't have to root for anybody I'm going to go over to a friend's house and eat their cheese and drink their beer Anyway, costume design. What the fuck is Beauty and the Beast doing in here? Like, it's Emma Watson's costumes are terrible. Why? You know what? Like, I feel like we all underestimate how bad a film 
Beauty and the Beast is. But the dress, I was mad about the dress. Why I'm... is it chiffon? Why is it not like you know Agreed. properly tailored? Why is that like her thing? It's like I'm you know I'm such a modern feminist belle that I don't care if my dress is properly tailored. I do. Right. It's on Netflix. Should I even bother? Because I haven't. No. no. Audrey McDonald is great. Gugu Mabuth, uh Gugu Mbatha-Raw? Yes. Is great. And she now has an MBE and she looked fantastic getting her order. And, and also should have been Belle again, but like a different yeah, Belle. But this Belle. Belle. But Emma, Ta- Emma Watson's costumes are shit. Mm-hmm. They don't fit in with the rest of the movie. It's dumb and I'm still mad at Dan Stevens. It's Movies. weird in that like I know to move on, but like I've seen better costumes at Comic Con that like yeah. people have made on their own. Yeah. Than what that film is doing. She clearly had a weird like like agenda she was given, which was look, we need this to basically be identical to the original film, but just different enough to justify its its own existence. Exactly. And something that would be fairly simple for prom dress manufacturers to recreate, although I did not see any evidence that that actually panned out. So that would be my, you know, like... That would be my, God, no. No. thing is, I don't know who's going to win here then. Like, I mean, maybe Phantom Thread? I hope Phantom Thread. I hope Phantom Thread because the couture costuming for those dresses was impeccable. And like like I said, I wanted like less bullshit, more sewing, please. I'm gonna give you to a gift right now. I found in Google Images, listeners do this. Google image Beauty and the Beast, and you shall find a screenshot of Emma Watson soulfully looking into the eyes of Dan Stevens while he's wearing his uh, motion, motion capture. capture. Yeah. yeah. It is the funniest thing ever. Anyway. So, um, the, um, Mark Bridges, who is the costume designer on Phantom Fred, is also the costume designer who works regularly with Paul Thomas Anderson, but he also did Fifty Shades of Grey. So if you like the clothes in that film, uh, thank Mark Bridges. The thing is, if he wins, he has to take Daniel Day-Lewis on stage with his swing kit just to, (laughs) you know, to share the love. Yeah, but, like, there was a scene early on in the movie where Daniel Day-Lewis is wearing a casual sport coat, and I was just like, oh my god, that fits him so well through the back. Like, just, I'm having palpitations it fit perfectly and there were no wrinkles and it fell and exact. it was like oh, man why can't I be that good I imagine I could be that good if I like spent literally all of my time working on it but I can almost crochet in a straight line now <laughs> I'm very proud of you I cannot crochet knitting's easier mm. everyone who said that knitting was easier than crochet you're liars because <laughs> I could actually make a scarf with knitting, crocheting yeah. was just like like cryptic crossword. Yeah. Do it. So you you I, I, I'm going to follow your judgment on this. You think Phantom Thread? Phantom Thread should win. I don't know who's going to win. I mean, Jacqueline Duran is nominated twice: once for Beauty and the Beast and once for Darkest Hour. Yeah. Like, I mean, the thing is, Darkest Hour cares only about Joe Wright's own direction, so. I didn't really notice the costumes in that film. 
Kristen Scott Thomas is really looks really great, but you know she doesn't look or act anything like Clementine Churchill. So you know mm. it's hard to judge that on those levels. Um, like my my worry here is that they'll give it to Victoria and Abdul. I don't think so. But if you know this could be the the, the technical sweep could happen for Shape. Actually, you know when we're on the topic of Shape of Water, why is that not nominated for makeup or visual effects? I suspect that the fish suit was treated as a costume. That's oh. my that's my guess. Because of the tailoring on the arse? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, I haven't... Okay. N- n- nerd confession. I haven't seen Blade Runner 2049. We didn't make it out to the theater for it, but weren't the costumes there deserving of a nod? That's a distinct look. I think the problem with... If Blade Runner 2049 had made more money... I think we would be talking about it in a more serious terms as a contender. Mm. It actually did pretty well at the BAFTA nominations, but the fact that it got like th- what it gets nominations for are the things that were really showy, which in this case is Roger Deakins cinematography. But it was a really busy year for visual effects. It didn't get in there either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically like the Andy Circus Happy Time show in visual effects. Oh, actually, it did get in for best. It did effects. get in visual yeah. effects. Sorry, I was looking at a different category there, but like, I mean, they tend to go for big effects there. Well, tend to. I mean, I remember your ex machina beat Star Wars for best effects, which was pretty cool. But for me, if I was going to give it to visual effects, it would be for War for the Planet of the Apes. And oh, I'm still on my Logan like sidebar, but this is the the kind of unfortunate thing. Not unfortunate. I don't know how to describe it, but here's you know, superhero movies like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two often go to the visual effects category. Logan is not that kind of movie. But mm-hmm. because it is still technically a superhero movie, the Academy isn't going to like reward it in the other categories. And I hate that we're in that in-between space. <laughs> yeah, I think if Logan had come out later in the year, because it came out in what, like February, March? Yeah, it was fairly early. And if they had campaigned for it, because I was complaining on Twitter, as you do, about how Hugh Jackman was making the, the biggest mistake of his life by pushing for Greatest Showman for his nomination instead of Logan. Mm-hmm. And somebody's like, uh, they don't have any control over what gets nominated. And I was like, oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> oh, punkin. <laughs> you think that there aren't campaigns? There are campaigns. There are overt campaigns. And there are subtle ones. But the, the thing is, and I... Unless you are like an industry nerd like I am, you probably didn't know, but like Logan, like Fox put real money behind that campaign. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of coverage for that campaign. I mean, this was the year where the superhero movies put their, you know, money where their mouth was. It, I think it is only more notable in the case of Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman didn't get a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that yeah, I seems like a more effects driven film that should have got in. I but... think Logan should have held off until October and then it could have slid into the that October October releases win Oscars slot, which is not going to happen this year. Um, but the past what, four years, the winner was released in October. But that's the thing is we're now kind of breaking those rules. There were rules that you used to have, like, here's how you'll win an Oscar. You have to release your film at the end of the year. You have to be like a costume drama. You have to be centered on white people. You have to be, you know, all of these things. I think people are now realizing that actually there is more merit in going with the film you genuinely love the most. You don't have to justify it as, oh, well, this person's time has come and we can give this one next year or whatever. Like, people are just like, get out, it's brilliant and deserves it. I love Lady Bird. I want to see it do well. I love 
you know, like the shape of water, finally Guillermo del Toro should get something, that kind of thing. You know, there's much more drive to actually just talk about liking films, which feels like an almost foreign concept when we talk about awards. Because it tends to be just much stranger and more political and ultimately more boring than that. And this year, Mm -hmm. it's not been boring. It's been kind of frustrating to have this build up and be like, oh, free billboards. But I don't know if the Oscars will repeat that. Like, this might be the year where the Oscars are the the strange one and not Mm -hmm. the Golden Globes. You know, the Golden Globes went much more predictable than we all thought they would. It's, you know, it's exciting because previously, I, I would have had this all sewn up by now. I would have had my, my my predictions written down and probably would have had them laminated. And I don't. And I, I like that I don't. Because it makes it harder for me to call myself an expert, but, you know, it's more fun. Well, that's okay. 538's still putting out their trends and predictions. When we oh, have nothing else, we have Nate Silver. Silver has not cracked up yet. <laughs> How does that man not just drinking constantly? <laughs> Okay, I have some questions, less about the uh, nominations themselves and more about the ceremony. Uh-huh. Um, do you think Jimmy Kimmel's the right choice for this? Nope. When was there uh, the last time we had the right choice for the Oscars? Never. The thing is, the, hosting the Oscars may be the most thankless job in entertainment. Yes. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Because who gets it right? Like, this is why they kept giving it to Billy Crystal year after year, even after diminishing returns. Because, like, well, it worked once. Let's keep going. And then the last time that we got him was a few years ago, and it was just unbearable. But even seasoned hosts, like, even Neil Patrick Harris couldn't save an Oscar ceremony. No. Oh, that was so so bad. That was so bad. For me, like... I think we all underestimated how good John Stewart's hosting was. Mm-hmm. Like it was seen as such a disappointment at the time. Actually, mm-hmm. it's looking back, he had some of the funniest jokes. Where he was a Bjork couldn't be here tonight. She was putting on her dress, and then Dick Cheney shot her. <laughs> it's a good joke. Hugh Jackman, I think, was good, wasn't he? Well, well Hugh Jackman was pretty good, but Hugh Jack—that's he- a song and dance man show. That yeah. wasn't like a comedy yeah. host. So I, I could see that. Yeah, I think Seth Meyers did really well at the Golden Globes. I'm talking about a thankless job. I think that the Golden Globes gives him more leeway, but he has to follow in tougher footsteps. Yeah. I did love that joke he made about Harvey Weinstein, and then the room kind of gasped, and he was like, oh, you're too good for that joke? Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, he would be pretty good. The thing is, because it's on ABC, they're, ne- they're not going to pick a Seth Meyers or a Stephen Colbert or... Like, thankfully, not a Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, could you imagine Jimmy Fallon hosting? Yes, I can. Oh, I'm not, I'll, I'll never be drunk enough for that. Nope. For me, I would love them just one year to not have a host. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Have we moved, and also just with the time and how many other presenters they are, like, do they need a host? Just have somebody choreograph an opening number and then have an MC. Yeah, I mean, usually what happens is the host disappears halfway through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, we, do we need another sketch where where Jimmy Kimmel drags out Matt Damon? Especially no. this year. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do we need more jokes about, ha, that guy's got a funny name? Like, I, I, I've, actually, I've grown to appreciate Jimmy Kimmel more over the past few months just because he has been more unabashedly political and pointed in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But I think his, his fallback mode is still to kind of be a frat boy. And, like, celebs reading mean tweets is funny, but I don't need to see it again at the Oscars. And if you're going to have Casey Affleck read it a mean tweet, I can provide about 50 other ones. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me get my list. I will say, I love the Miles Teller one where he says, Miles Teller seems like the kind of guy who would turn up at a wedding uninvited and ask for Gangnam style to be played. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you do actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and Miles Teller is like, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why it's it's. No one wants to host. No one wants that gig. The, he no. got it again, partly because I don't think anyone else wanted it, and because his job was passable. Mm-mm. Like, I wish he hadn't brought out. Look at these plebs surrounded by celebrities. Worship your masters. I I, I yeah. didn't like. I hated that he kept making fun of Mahershala Ali's name. Yeah. He kind of dealt with the pressure of the not the winning mix-up okay. I mean, he didn't melt down instantly. I mean, like, like, no one was going to deal with that well. No one was. <laughs> there wasn't going to be a good way to react to that. Because, yeah. like, what are you going to do? So that, you know, I'm not mad. I will probably just block out those parts of the show. I don't need to hear jokes about how Matt Damon is his enemy. I don't need to hear, you know... Wow, there are a lot of old people nominated tonight kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Ellen DeGeneres, the first time she did it was okay. I enjoyed, like, her going up to Martin Scorsese and going, Oh, it's, it's look at the screenplay I've got. It's a cross between Goodfellas and Big Mama's House. Would you read it for me? Ordering pizza is fun because, damn it, Kerry Washington needed her pizza. Yeah. As long as he's not, like, overtly racist... <laughs> I feel like we'll call it at least a decent victory, but like I wouldn't wish that hosting job on my worst enemy. Oh, I would. <laughs> well, James I would. Already... I'm a. I'm way pettier than you are. Well, James Franco's already hosted it. Oh God! Do you remember when James Franco hosted it? Jeez. For Anne Hathaway. Remember how Anne Hathaway got all the shit for that? Because oh, you're taking it too seriously. Like, well, someone has to. Yeah. And then they immediately brought out Billy Crystal. <laughs> Well, they originally had it for Eddie Murphy because the show was going to be uh, produced by Brett Ratner. Yeah. You know what? I feel like if you just let Eddie Murphy go wild, he would probably have a good time with it. But Eddie Murphy hasn't been Eddie Murphy for a while now. So, like, you know, I wonder what he's up to. But I honestly, if it was up to me, scrap the host. Just let people read their speeches uninterrupted. You know? Just, mm-hmm. just let them have fun. Un- like, unless you can ha- just get Sue Perkins on a plane and get her to host it instead. <laughs> but like, Americans don't know who she is, so you're gonna regret asking what Eddie Murphy's up to because I googled it. Oh no! And too. this is oh, no. just like announced on IMDb, so it'll probably never happen. But there is a universe out there where Beverly Hills Cop Four is a thing, and we could be that universe. Oh, Eddie, you don't have to do that. See, he's never gotten over the fact that he didn't win an Oscar for Dreamgirls. But also, mm-hmm. apparently happening is a um, a Richard Pryor movie. Actually, he would be pretty good for that, but I think he's too he's not, old now. He's not playing Richard Pryor, though. Oh, is this the Richard Pryor movie that Lee Daniels was supposed to be making? Writer, according to IMDb, writer Bill Condon... Taraji P. Henson is in it. Eddie Murphy's Leroy Pryor. Mike Epps is Richard Pryor. Oprah Winfrey's in it. Kate Hudson is attached to Jennifer Lee Pryor. And Tracy Morgan is rumored as Red Fox. I mean, that's not the worst idea. I mean, I'm not sure that Bill Condon is the guy you want for your funky, fresh movie about Richard Pryor. Like, black writers exist, guys. (laughs) Honestly, like... Just don't let anyone host it. Just have an MMC yeah. or something. Uh, it's interesting because this year at the BAFTAs, Stephen Fry is not hosting it. The host is actually Joanna Lumley. Oh. Okay. I mean, I think we all got bored of Stephen Fry's shtick. We got bored of being, He couldn't handle being dragged on Twitter anymore, so... I'm not against it. I mean, I wish we'd got Sue Perkins because she hosted the, the TV BAFTAs a while back. Mm. 
and it was awesome. So speaking of the BAFTAs, we're all pulling for Hugh Grant, right? right? Yes. Right? Alina? That's <laughs> um, right? sweet for Paddington yes. 2. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys seen Paddington 2? No. I haven't seen Paddington 1. I have, one. <laughs> I have like $40 to get me from now until Wednesday night. So, no. <laughs> you know what? He is like, and I, it sounds like such a sign, because I remember when he was at the Golden Globes and people were saying, ha ha, you know, he's in Paddington 2. What a downfall for him. And it's like, no, you don't understand. That's a big deal in Britain that he's in a Paddington movie, you know? Because we love Paddington. And he's so good in it. He plays this really egotistical actor who's fallen on her hard times and then becomes Paddington's enemy. But he keeps putting on, like, disguise after disguise and they're all terrible there's one moment where he's disguised as a nun and it's hilarious and he's so committed to it there's a scene where he's like recounting his dastardly plan but he's talking to all of the mannequins in his dressing room that are the different like costumes he wears and he plays all of the mannequin voices (laughs) and it's so funny like it's a truly brilliant performance i would love him to win just for his reaction because i think it would completely bowl him over (laughs) And he'd just go up there and be like, really? Really? Comedy doesn't tend to get its its fair due in award shows. No. Like, Tiffany Haddish didn't get it. Uh, ex- except if that comedy's The Martian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Laugh Riot, The Martian. Mm. But when was the last time like an actual comedy performance won? Was it Kevin Klein in Fish Called Wanda? I think it might have been. I mean, that's an awesome performance, but, like, that that's a long time ago. That was the early 90s. No, no. <clears throat> would Vicky Cristina Barcelona be a comedy? I didn't see it. It's Woody Allen. Come on. <laughs> so. We don't need to stoop that low. Oh, no. Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago. Well, that's a musical. It's yeah. still a comedy musical. I would it's say funny. it's a comedy. But, I mean, the, the, the big pool of that, that performance. Wait, wait. What about the artist? Singing. Does the artist count as a comedy? Or is it a, a, a dramedy? It's French. It's, it's français. Um, <laughs> but like in terms of like a full-on broad comedy performance, like that stuff doesn't tend to win. No. And it probably should. Like Melissa McCarthy got nominated for Bridesmaids, but she didn't win. My cousin Vinny. Oh, that yeah, Marissa Tommy's hilarious in that. She did, totally deserved it. But it's like you know, like how often does that happen? And it well, that was nineteen ninety two. I think Kevin Klein's ninety or ninety one. Was Amadeus a comedy? Right, a bridge of spies. <sighs> Django Unchained. Uh, <laughs> I really no, talk about Tarantino really... right now. Yeah, Little Miss Sunshine. I mean, Alan Arkin did die, but you know details. That's a very empty comedy, you know. Adaptation. Well, I actually think that counts. Um... It's it's a very different. indie. It's very Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman, but it is a comedy. All right, two thousand two. But uh, it's still it's rare, you know, and like Hugh Grant winning not only for a comedy but for a children's movie about a talking bear. Wait, what? What about Silver Linings Playbook? Again, like it has to be a dramedy to get nominated, right? Like that's the that's, thing. It's, that's... it's a dramedy. Yeah. Man, remember when everyone thought that Mother was going to be a front runner? No. <laughs> Nobody. No. Did like, anybody really think that? Before it came out, yeah. Really? They were like, well, it's, you know, Jennifer Lawrence gets nominated for everything, and it's Darren Aronofsky, and it's, you know, strange and artsy, and I think everyone saw it, and it was like, even the people who love it didn't think it was going to get in. 
Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Jerry Mag- Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jerry Maguire. Oh, that's true. Oh, as good as it gets. Helen Hunt, nineteen seven. There you go. But like I said, it's more like like a full-on comedy doesn't tend to win. It has to be like with a mix of drama. Yeah, like Fargo yeah. the year before that. Yeah, yeah Fargo's... The, oh, that's, that's a Coen Brothers movie. You know, the, all of their movies tend to be kind of funny on some level. Right. But I would I would love to see Paddington 2 sweep. It deserves it. Just like, just like you know, you should... America should be starting their Oscar campaign for Paddington 2 now. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, final thoughts on the nominations. It seems basically unsurprising. But pleasantly so. Yes. Pleasantly unsurprising. It's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's nothing there that I'm mad at. There's nothing there that's particularly egregious. There's nothing there that's gonna, like, have you necessarily screaming at your TV all day. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that may happen with Gary Oldman winning. Awards or, uh, mm-hmm. But Gary Oldman, I think, is the closest you're going to get to that. But it's also just so inevitable at this point in time. Uh, you may get it with um, free billboards. But honestly, like by Oscar standards, which is a very different curve from you know reality, like there's nothing here that's truly terrible. This is about as good as it will get for an Oscar season, I think. Yeah, and there's there's something to celebrate there. I mean, going in the right direction, Oscars. Let's let's not flatline and let's keep this up. And maybe the next generation of podcasters will let you off the hook for all your shitty history. Wouldn't it be nice if we're still making films in like 10 years' time and we haven't all been blown off the planet? Yeah. That would, that be, would nice. be nice. No guarantees. Yeah, so on that downer note. <laughs> Only black comedy here. Right. Go watch Paddington 2. Make your heart nice and light. And then after you've done that, watch The Good Place. And make your heart nice and light. Good Place is so good, you guys. It's so wonderful. Go watch One Day at a Time on Netflix. Yep, that's that's on my list. Um, So good. I cried all for it. (laughs) And uh, we will see you possibly later this month because we did not do a January episode because a lot happened in January. God, so much happened. Everything happened. Oh, everything happened. To everyone. We're, we're sorry. We are. We just couldn't make it work. Yeah, but we have not talked about this yet, so Alina might cut this out. Uh, but, you know, the Olympics are happening and uh, we usually talk about things that happen at the Olympics after they're over. Yeah. You know, compare and, metal counts, measure who's is bigger, that kind of thing. Right. It's not going to be Russia this time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, burn! <laughs> okay, you know what? Screw you, it's the Winter Olympics and I'm in Canada! <laughs> Look, she has backup options, okay? Curling! I bet you I will beat all of you in curling! No. Excuse me, like, excuse me? You, you want to get into that? Oh, boy. <laughs> so one of the things we're okay at, throwing stones on... We can do that. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Anyway, we we might actually have some decent speed skaters this time. We care, listeners. We care deeply. Yeah, we care about sports. When did this happen? (laughs) We only care about Olympic sports. True. So if you care too, you'll see us here whenever the Olympics are over. (laughs) In like three weeks. See everyone then.
Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Anglofees, a Made to Fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglofees. You can send an email to Anglofees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.